My wife and I enjoyed some time away, and uh, it was a great time, and, and uh, we enjoyed ourselves and uh, enjoyed getting some, some time to see a different part of the world. We were over in, in the UK, over in England for a while. Uh, but I got to tell you, in the midst of all of that, um, um, even though we were enjoying the beauty and the history and some of the just different sights there in, in London and in England, um, couldn't help but continue to be reminded that our world is a mess. Our world's a mess. This past February, of course, we're all aware that Russian President Putin launched an unprovoked invasion into Ukraine, setting off the largest armed conflict in Europe since World War II. Every day since then, you can either hear about it uh, on a news program, or you can read about it in the newspapers about the slaughter of innocent Ukrainians. According to the United Nations, as of June 20th, there were, have been 4,569 confirmed deaths and 5,691 non-fatal injuries among Ukrainian civilians. civilians. Most of those are caused by indiscriminate uh, use of heavy artillery and missiles and bombs. But the actual number of deaths and injuries are probably, experts say, much higher than that. For example, according to CNN, city officials in Maripol uh, believe that by May 25th, this past May 25th, at least 22,000 city residents had been killed. You think about that. You realize pure evil. On Sunday, June 6th, St. Francis Catholic Church in southwestern Nigeria became the site of a bloody attack. Um, the attackers rode in on motorcycles and began just shooting, um, just sporadically killing at least 28 worshipers that were there that morning. Pure evil. You, you come closer to home, of course, we're all very aware of what happened in Uvalde, Texas, where an 18-year-old walked into an elementary school on the last day of school and killed 21 people, including 19 third and fourth graders there. Another 17 are wounded. Pure evil. Highland Park, Illinois, a lone gunman Sitting on a rooftop, fires into a crowd on the 4th of July parade, killing six people and wounding dozens of others. Pure evil. That even closer to home, not to scare you guys, um, <laughs> but an article came out this past week in the Star Tribune that in 2021, it was one of the worst, most violent um, years in Twin Cities history. We're aware of that, right? With 135 homicides combined in Minneapolis, between Minneapolis and, and, and St. Paul, and those who were killed ranged from kindergartners to grandparents. There were teachers and there were students and veterinary technicians and, and mechanics. There were sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, siblings and colleagues and friends, and everyone, pure evil. And every time I hear those stories or read those stories, I can't help but think, man, we live in a world that's a mess. I mean, beyond the innocent uh, lives, 
that evil takes. Um, there's evil in other ways and, and other places in our world. There are carjackings and robberies. There are uh, sexual abuse and, and, and violence. There is de deceit and lying and, and uh, hatred. I mean, you can find it everywhere. You can find it in government. You can find it at your place of work. You can find it in your neighborhood. In fact, I, I mean, I couldn't believe it. This, this past week, I read in the Star Tribune that, um, uh, about this local woman who attempted to slander and destroy a girl's basketball coach because he refused to play his or her daughter in, in, their, in their high school game, games. Evil. See, a very painful reality of life is that the world that we live in is a mess. Evil, it seems, is everywhere you look. And so we have to answer this question, and that is, if this is God's world, why is it such a mess? <laughs> if this is God's world, then one should expect God to have done a better job at making it seem more like God's world, don't you think? <laughs> but instead, we have war and we have injustice and we have pain and suffering and sickness. I mean, you can make up your own list. Why does God let this evil continue to exist? Well, one day, Jesus told a farming story that I think will help us. Now, it might not answer all of our questions, but I think it does help us. Um, and you'll find that farming story in the middle of other farming stories in Matthew 13. So I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew 13 this morning. Matthew 13, a story begins in verse 24. And here's how the story goes. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds also appeared. Now, I got to pause here for a moment because when Jesus talks about weeds here, he's not talking about some... Uh, harmless uh, little weeds like dandelions, you know, that we get in our yards. Um, no, he's talking about a, a type of a, a rye grass that has poisonous seeds. Um, and that weed, it's related to wheat, and in the early stages of its growth, it's difficult to distinguish um, that weed from the wheat. It may look like wheat, but it won't feed your family. In fact, it'll, it'll make them sick if they eat it. So if it, that weed gets mixed in with the wheat, then the flour will be ruined. Continuing on. Verse 27. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
Do you understand Jesus' story? Listen, I, if you don't, you don't have to feel bad because neither did uh, Jesus' disciples. <laughs> uh, I mean, and, and they walked by wheat fields every day and they still had to ask him what his story meant. And so here's how Jesus explains it. Look down with me at verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears, let him hear. A farming story, I think, there has two big points that we need to grab a hold of, that we need to understand in order for us to make sense of Jesus' parable. The first big point is this. God's kingdom is present, but at the same time, evil is present and is active. I want you to notice in this story, do you notice this? There are two sowers. And they're sowing two different kinds of seeds. In this explanation, Jesus makes it very clear, doesn't he? One of the sowers is Jesus himself, the, the son of man. And he's been sowing good seed. He's been sowing kingdom people. But there's a second sower. <laughs> One who came in the middle of the night and sowed weeds among the wheat in that field. And the second sower Jesus identifies is the devil. It's Satan. And the weeds that he has sown are evil and the sons of evil. And I want you to notice something here. These weeds are not just, as I said before, ordinary, everyday weeds, you know, growing in a field. No, they were planted there, and they were planted there on purpose by an enemy for the express purpose of sabotaging the farmer's crop. <laughs> and the surprise of the servants and the conclusion of the master, both, they, 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 both of them indicate that the weeds that this enemy has planted are uh, far beyond what normally would have been expected. In other words... The, the number of weeds resulting from this sabotage far exceed the number of weeds that normally would have occurred. So everywhere they look, there seem to be just weeds everywhere. I got to tell you, if you think about this, this explains a lot about our world, doesn't it? It explains why no matter how much good seems to be sown in this world, we do not see the progress that we'd like to see. This parable explains why we find no perfect family or no pure church, no entirely responsible business or no benevolent government. No, the enemy of God sees that there are always weeds among the wheat. Alongside the life-affirming genius of science, ever been amazed by it? <laughs> there soon grows up to be selfish will 
that uses that very knowledge um, to destroy life, to enslave minds, or uh, to milk a scandalous prophet. Alongside the noble aspirations of those who enter politics will rise the weeds of special interests and of uh, a selfish ambition. The love of many marriages will face the creeping vine of lust and laziness. I mean, how many parents have labored uh, to sow good seeds in their children only to be stunned and heartbroken by what sometimes appears overnight? This also explains why there uh, is a mess in the world, but also why there's a mess in the church. I got to tell you, one of the most oftentimes uh, heard reasons people uh, don't get involved in the church these days, I think, is, is the reason they give is the church is full of hypocrites. They say that those who go to church are just, just as lousy as everybody else. And usually what they do is they, 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 they cite some sin which they assume that they're innocent of, you know, maybe, maybe like racism or, or uh, uh, abuse or, or materialism. <laughs> and they ascribe it to people that they know go to church or people that they've heard of that go to, go to church. And I got to tell you, as I think about that, they're not wrong, are they? <laughs> I mean, you read about... <laughs> the different scandals that take place in churches all the time. Sexual abuse and the cover-up. Stealing and manipulation. There are power plays and there's self-exaltation. Now, of course, throughout church history, there have been attempts, right, to clean up our act, you know, as as the church. (laughs) But we've never been quite able to pull it off, um, You know, we've attempted to purify the church by saying, hey, let's get rid of all the dead wood and pare this thing down to the really, really, really committed and good people. (laughs) But let me say, uh, such attempts often end up creating a church full of people who look more like uh, those who crucified Jesus than those who followed Jesus. (laughs) I mean, you know the old story, right? Between two church members talking to each other, there's none so righteous as me and thee. And sometimes I worry about thee. <laughs> See, Jesus' story here reminds us that we should expect this. this. This should not be a surprise to any of us. Evil in the church, although disappointing, should not catch us off guard. After all, the world that we live in and the church is in this world, right? It's a mess. And Jesus knew that. Think about it. He, he experienced this. I mean, he, he gave himself to his disciples. Yet among the 12 of his closest followers, what? There was one weed, Judas, right? Although the kingdom of God is present, evil is present as well. Now, of course, <laughs> Uh, the follow-up question to this is then, why doesn't God take care of it? I mean, why, why doesn't God just pull all the weeds now? I mean, haven't we all asked that question uh, sometime along the way? Um, 
You know, when, when, when something bad has happened and, and we say, God, why don't you stop all this evil from happening? God, since you are our God, you're able to stop the, the work of the enemy and to bring this weed-sowing business uh, to nothing. So, so, God, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it now? I mean, that was the question the servants asked, wasn't it? Then do you want us to go and gather them up, they asked. I mean, look at the farmer's response again. Verse 29. But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. See, Jesus is telling us as his followers, he's saying, listen, if you follow me, you're often going to be surrounded by evil people. Where you live, where you work, where you go to school, <laughs> in your family, in your church, and you're going to want to get rid of them. <laughs> but that's not your job. It's my job, God says. And it's not going to happen right now. No, but it's going to happen later. And here's the second big point that we need to understand and grab a hold of, and that's simply this. All evil, all evil will be dealt with by God. By God. Yes, the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom is present today, here, now, because of the ministry of Jesus and the, the work of the Holy Spirit. But evil is present also. It's all around us. But one day in the future, the wheat and the weeds, <laughs> the good news is they will be separated. Why the delay? Why not pull all the weeds right now? Well, here's why. Because the farmer tells us, he says, if you tear out the weeds now, you'll also tear out all of the wheat. Now, what's Jesus mean by that? Well, let me give you one possibility. You see, you have to understand, the weeds and wheat look a lot alike. Yesterday I was talking to my, my uh, father-in-law, George Kolb, uh, about this. He uh, grew up on a farm in South Dakota, and uh, he ministered for years, as a pastor for years in small farming communities. And he told me, uh, uh, you know, until they're full grown, that is, the, the wheat and the weeds, you, you can't really tell the difference between the two. In other words, you start pulling too early, you're going to make a mistake. You might think you're pulling up a weed when you're really <laughs> pulling up wheat. See, the reason that Jesus doesn't ask us to get rid of evil people is that we wouldn't do a very good job of it. We keep thinking someone's a weed. I mean, we write them off. Uh, we, we, we cross them off the list. Or we look down on them. But God's saying, hey, give that person some time. Be patient. You might be surprised. That person might just turn around. Let's say your job, you get the job, uh, the assignment. You know, God gives you assignment. Okay, listen, you uh, get the job uprooting some people and leaving others. You get to decide. It's your job to figure out, is this person a weed or is this person wheat? In the first person's case, your sign goes like this. Um, in his teens, he began living with someone. 
He got her pregnant. After living with that person for 15 years, he dumped her and got engaged to someone else, only because doing that would advance his career. But it was a long engagement, two years. So while he was engaged, he began living with a third woman who was not his fiancée. Meanwhile, during all this time, he gave up going to church and uh, joined a crazy cult. Then he got bored with that and became a skeptic. Weed or wheat? Should he stay or should he go? <laughs> Looks like a weed, doesn't it? But listen, if you tear him out, you just have torn out the future of St. Augustine, one of the most famous and important Christians in history. See, so one reason we don't get the job, you and I, of tearing out weeds right now is that we're going to make mistakes. Weeds and wheat, they can look an awful lot alike. And that brings us to another point I want to make here. Even we good people have quite a bit of evil running through us, don't we? Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said, gradually it was disclosed to me that the line dividing good and evil passes not through states, not, through, not between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. See, if Jesus let us do what we wanted to do, and, and you and I, we could immediately get rid of all the evil people and all the evil in the world, my question is, would we stand a chance? Would we make it? Not only would we get rid of people who are 90% evil, but also the people who are 9% evil. Listen, if, there, if you have any self-awareness at all, that should quiet you down quite quickly, doesn't it? But thank God he created a way that my weedy self could be changed into wheat. It's called grace. And it comes to you and to me when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we know that our only hope of true inner goodness comes from him. And that's also possible for those who right now look to us like they are weeds. That same grace is out there for them. See, Jesus' story reminds us that judgment belongs to God and not to me. And while this is not the time for judgment, judgment, Jesus says, will certainly come. I mean, look at Jesus' promise, verses 40. Just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Friends, can I tell you, Jesus hates evil. He hates the suffering that evil causes, and he's going to deal with it. He's going to stop it. 
He wants justice to be done and people to be protected and innocent and righteous to live in safety and in, in joy. And for those who are sons and daughters of the kingdom, we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Friends, this is God's world. And even though presently the kingdom might be faint, uh, at times it might be hard to see, might be obscure, in the end, he will be victorious. So as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Yes, the world is a mess, but in the end, God's going to set it all right. And in the meantime, let me give you a couple of ways that we as Christ followers, we need to respond. First is this, we should expect to suffer. I mean, it's comforting to know, isn't it, that God will eventually bring um, justice, but listen, since God's allowing evil people to continue for now, we gotta expect to suffer. A main theme for our scripture is that as followers of Christ, we should expect to suffer. It was out of experiencing the mess of this world that the psalmist cries out, Oh, how long, O oh Lord, how long will the wicked be exalted? Or we can say with Jeremiah, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the treacherous thrive? <laughs> I mean, we'll look at the weeds and we look at the, the wheat and, and, and those are our questions. How long? Why? It's difficult, isn't it? When, when it's your life and evil sometimes flourishes and goodness withers. It's not fun when cancerous cells spread throughout the body and good cells starve. But here's what we must remember. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. And also, we have to be reminded that when you suffer then, don't take suffering as a sign that you are doing anything wrong. It's not because you're a sinner. It's not because God has abandoned you along the way. It's because in this life, wheat is always surrounded by weeds. Second, do not take revenge. The Bible tells us that God can take the evil done against you and can work it for your ultimate good. He can give you the power to forgive. But the real danger, according to Scripture, is that we respond to evil done to us by becoming the crazed, angry, vindictive people, especially on social media. And that all happens when you start thinking, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I don't have to put up with this, or I can fight fire with fire. No. As a Christ follower, no, no. The Bible says revenge, it, it, that's not your job. Proverbs 20, says, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. In fact, with God's help, you can even move beyond, um, I'm going to get back to that person 
In fact, to, to a place where you can say, I, I'm going to treat them well. Listen to this from Romans chapter 12, different verses. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Do you really believe, do you really trust that God will settle the score for those huge, specific wrongs that have been done to you? If you do, you will be freed from the poisonous need to get revenge. And you can move on, and you can live your life, and you can trust that God, he will take care of it. That's his promise. So friends, I got to tell you, do not lose heart. God's kingdom comes with limitless grace in the midst of an evil world. The new age has dawned in the midst of the old. The world, yes, is a mess. But in the end, God will set it all right. He'll be victorious. And one day the harvest will come and the wheat will be separated from the weeds. The weeds, they'll be gathered together and thrown into the fire while the wheat, the sons and daughters of the kingdom, will be gathered into his barn where the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God. He, she who has ears, let them hear. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the promise that you are going to set things right. God, give us the faith. Give us the courage to hold on to that promise, to trust in you in those difficult times when we want to repay evil for evil. God, would you continue to teach us of your grace? And Lord, might we be individuals who pray for those people around us that hurt us, those that we consider our enemies. God, might we pray for your work in their hearts and lives so that one day they might be collected together as wheat along with us. Lord, we pray all these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.